Welcome and thanks for joining us today on the Abundance Podcast. We'll go ahead and get started in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that your love is not conditional. It's not based on what we do. Thank you that you just extend it to us because you just love us that much, that you were willing to give your own son to restore fellowship with us, God. We acknowledge we don't deserve any of it, but we thank you that you freely give it. And we just receive it. Help us to extend the love to others that you've given to us, Lord. You're awesome, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today I'm going to share with you something that God's been working with me on personally. The title of this message is, Love Suffers Long and is Kind. So those six words can be really challenging. And some of you may recognize them. They're from the Great Love Chapter. And that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. That phrase, love suffers long and is kind, is actually from verse 4 in chapter 13. But before we get into discussing how love does suffer long and is kind, I want to take a brief look at the three verses that lead up to verse 4. So love is really the focus of today's message. And as a side note, in our English language, we only have one form of the word love, and and that's love. (laughs) But in the Greek language that the New Testament is written in, they actually have a couple different words that describe love. And the one that we're focusing on today is God's type of love, and that's agape love, A-G-A-P-E, agape. And that type of love isn't based on feelings. It's unconditional. It's not given based on what you've done, you know, you or I have done. It's just freely given. And it thinks of others before oneself. Okay, it's not selfish. And why that's important for us to understand as we move forward is because the word love in today's day and age is is used pretty flippantly. You know, it it doesn't really mean what it used to. It's pretty common to hear things like, well, you know, I love pizza or (laughs) I love this video game or, you know, I love this truck. You know, at least until a newer one comes out, you know, and then and then you don't love that truck so much. Or, uh, you know, I love lamp. What? I I love lamp. I I love lamp. (laughs) I'm sure that some of you out there will get the movie reference with that. But anyways, the point is, you know, love doesn't really mean what it used to. So to start off the great love chapter, Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, gives us some examples of what love doesn't look like. And these verses, they really got the potential to, to rock someone's boat because they're pretty straightforward. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So this verse makes mention of speaking with the tongues of men and of angels. So what's that all about? Well, I'm choosing not to get sidetracked because I'm really wanting to stay on topic for the most part. But if you want to hear more about that subject with what that's referring to with the tongues of men and the tongues of angels, you can go back and listen to the very first series I did on this podcast entitled Holy Spirit Upon, and that was a four-part series. And then there's also the episode entitled The Love Thy Neighbor Podcast Interview, and that was on July 9th, 2021, where I was interviewed by a fellow podcaster about tongues. And in that episode, we really go over the cliff notes, if you will, of that topic. But for now, like I said, we're not going to get into that. But basically what I want you to see that as is it's just talking about prayer. Okay. 
We could be doing something as quote unquote spiritual as prayer, but if it's not motivated by love, it's meaningless. It profits us nothing. And that makes me think of like the videos where someone records themselves giving something to, you know, another individual, whether it's like money to a homeless person or, or giving a card, you know, so I know whatever it may be doing some sort of benevolent act and it looks good on the surface but in reality, the real motivation behind it, it's not love. It's its only for that individual. The real motivation is, you know, how's this going to make me look? You know, is this going to get me a couple extra clicks on Facebook or a couple more shares or whatever the case may be? Now, I'm not saying that every situation like this that's been recorded, that it's impossible for that to be done from the right motive or from, you know, the motivation of love. I'm not saying that, okay? But, I, but what I am saying is that We can do things that really look good on the surface, but if our motivation is not truly based out of God's kind of love, it means nothing. Others might like it, and you might get a couple that-a-boys from some of the people on earth, but as far as God is concerned, because our heart wasn't in the right place, it means nothing. Now, this verse also mentions the phrase sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So what's that? Well, one way of explaining it is, You know, have you ever gone to a house (laughs) where there's a loud ticking clock, you know, that the ticking and the talking is so loud, you wonder, you know, how in the world does this not drive them crazy? You know, you're trying to have a conversation or play cards or whatever the case may be, and all you can hear is that stinking clock, just tick-tock, 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 it's super loud. And why is that? Well, the reason why is because they're used to it, but you're not. They're so used to it, they don't even hear it anymore. And that's really what this verse is talking about how we could be doing all these things that appear to be awesome, but if we don't have love, others aren't even hearing us. You know, they don't pick up on it. We're just kind of like background noise. Verse two, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So having the gift of prophecy and all knowledge and all faith, you know, even to where we could move mountains, all that sounds really good. And really, that's what a lot of us want, you know, that we, we're chasing those things. We want all knowledge. We want to be faith giants and, and that sort of thing. But this verse is saying that without love, it's worthless. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. John thirteen thirty five says, and this is Jesus speaking, By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So people will know that we're followers of Christ by the love that we give out. Now, does anybody remember this song growing up? And hopefully this doesn't break your speakers, but Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And and then it keeps going, and then at the end it says, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Now, I remember being a little kid and singing that song, and, and it's super cute to hear a bunch of kids singing it, but man, this, when you really look, this verse is brutal. <laughs> let's, let's take a look at what it's saying. It's, it's, you know, like it says, the song says, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, it says, beloved, okay? So who is beloved? It's, it's you and I. It's us who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we are his beloved. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, okay? And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
Okay, here it is. He who does not love does not know God, <laughs> for God is love. So that, that verse just said, he who does not love does not know God. Dang. It's not saying someone isn't born again if they don't love. It's saying if we don't love, we don't really know God. And why is that? Well, because God is love. So to walk in this agape, God kind of love, we have to know God. And like we already talked about, many people claim to love, but the world's version of love is not God's kind of love. And if someone hasn't received a right standing with God by grace through faith in Jesus, they can't love like God. And why is that? Because God's kind of love only comes from him. So back to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. So that verse even says that we could go as far as to sell everything we have. You know, we could use it to feed others. We could even give up our own life for someone else. But if it's not motivated by God's type of love, it profits me nothing. Now with that kind of balancing out everything, let's go ahead and get into the main point of what we'll be discussing today. And that's in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Now, sometimes when we hear a verse that talks about suffering, you know, we think about, you know, being a doormat or a pushover or whatever other word you can come up with there. And most likely what ends up being said is, well, you know, Jesus wasn't a pushover. You know, he flipped over tables, you know, when he went into the temple. And that's absolutely true. And Jesus actually did it twice. Okay. He did it at the start of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. The second time he did it, which was in Mark 11, verses 11 through 16, this actually took place after Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt and the people were you know, putting palm branches on the ground, you know, shouting Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, we refer to it as Palm Sunday. So it actually comes after this. So in verse 11, it says, And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus came to Jerusalem, he entered the temple, he saw everything that was going on, and he left for the night because it was getting late. And then it was the next day where the word says that he came back and that's where he overturned the tables. So again, that was at the end of Jesus' ministry. So that's one time. But the first time he did it was recorded in John 2. And not only did he overturn tables, just like in the other time, but it even says that he drove them off with a whip. And if you've heard that before, you know, how Jesus used the whip to, you know, disperse everybody. I always kind of pictured it as like, Jesus having this Hulk moment, you know, where he walks in there and then he turns into a big green monster and he, you know, kind of freaks out. And, and I'm not, I know I'm not using the right verbiage here. I'm just trying to tell you how I kind of always envisioned it. Well, that, you know, he gets in there, he sees everything, he gets all upset and then he just, you know, kind of goes crazy and, and flips over tables and gets everybody out of there. But that's not what happened. Okay. John 2.15 says, when he had made a whip of cords... He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. So what I want to point out there is it says he made a whip. So why is that important? So I don't want us to just, you know, flip through that and, and just move right on past that quick, okay? 
for someone to make a whip, it, it takes time. Okay. And it's not like Jesus went in there with like leather strips or whatever it was that he used. He had to go find some. He took the time to sit there and make it. And, and, and so what I'm trying to just show is that it wasn't just some, you know, Hulk moment like I described where he just grabbed something and then started flipping out. You know, that, that wasn't what happened. Jesus knew what he was doing. He was taking the time to do it and make it. And if Jesus made it, you know, he was a carpenter. He's from a carpenter's son. So you know it had to have been made well. You know, he's not going to make some rinky-dink thing that the first time he swings it, it, it just falls apart. You know, no, he, he did a good job. So it took time. That's all I'm trying to get at. So why is that important? Because he didn't just see what was going on and react. Okay, there's a difference between reacting and responding. Reacting simply means to meet one action with another. It's immediate and it's rash. Okay, but responding is considerate. It's deliberate. So the first example we looked at, which was in Mark, which was at the end of his ministry, it was the second time he flipped over tables, he actually waited a day. Okay, he didn't just go in and it said that he left and he went to Bethany. So he waited a day. And in this example that we looked at in John, he took the time to make a whip. And even with both of these examples, it's obvious to see that he was clearly angry. Okay, there was a righteous anger. And yet, we know he didn't sin. So why am I bringing this up at the beginning? Because I don't want anyone thinking that what I'm saying is that the word tells us to be a doormat. Okay, it doesn't. It's important we're aware that there is a time to suffer persecution for the gospel. 1 Peter 3 verse 14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. That being said, there's also a time to fight back, you know, to stand up for what we believe in. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear, or the reverence, of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. So God is saying he hates evil. And we should too. And we could really get into that further, but I'm not trying to go that direction. But what I want to point out is when we're looking at other people and the things that we believe it would be beneficial for them to change in their lives, it's important for us to remember that, you know, we didn't change overnight either. (laughs) We forget that for some of us, you know, it took us months or years to see change happen in our life. But sometimes the temptation can be, to get on others because, you know, they're not changing as quick as we think they should. And in that situation, here's a verse for you. (laughs) And it's for me too. Acts 9, verse 5. We're looking at it in the King James Version. It says, And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Okay? I know that was kind of out of left field there, but this is where Saul, before he becomes Paul, is traveling down the road and Jesus meets him and there's a bright light and it blinds him and Paul has this complete change in what he was doing. He was literally going to persecute Christians and he just completely flips around. So a prick was a pointed stick, okay, a poking device used to move along an animal. And you may think, well, what I'm about to say is just meant to be obscene. You know, it's not, but here it is. Stop being a prick, okay? Stop poking at others pointing out their flaws, trying to make them change by attempting to make them feel bad, 
that their outward actions aren't matching up overnight with the change that's taking place on the inside of them. You know, there is a change that's taking place on the inside of them, but it just hasn't moved from the inside out yet, but it will. And when we poke at them and we try to point out their flaws, (laughs) we're actually making it more challenging on that transformation to take place. We've got to stop as believers trying to tell them how they should walk out their relationship with Jesus. So stop being a prick. How is it that we start to see change in someone's life? It's the love of God that draws men and women unto repentance. Okay, or repentance is just another word for change. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And, and you know, it mentions here the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ? Just before that, in Galatians 5.14, it says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we're to help others along in their faith walk and in the situations where they mess up, we're to do it in a spirit of gentleness. We're not to prick them and poke them and try to jumpstart them to get from zero to hero in, in, in no time. So what's it mean to restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness? Well, I believe instead of focusing on their mistakes, you know, hashing out everything that went wrong, where they went wrong, putting all the focus on their mistakes, and basically what I'm describing here is a sin consciousness, and really a sin consciousness, <laughs> always being focused on the sin, is going to draw someone to want to sin more. <laughs> so instead of looking at their sin, we remind them that that's just not who they are. You know, they've been transformed on the inside. Their identity is not their mistakes. Because they've trusted in Jesus right now, they're holy. They're righteous. They're blameless and above reproach in God's sight. They're an overcomer in Christ. Their mistakes didn't cause them to, quote unquote, lose their salvation. So basically, we need to get their attention back on who they are in Christ. Because that's who they truly are, regardless of their shortcomings. So again, I'm not saying we should be doormats, nor was Jesus a doormat. It's just important that we're being led by the Spirit of God. So let's go ahead and go over 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. And first, not to be technical, but these verses are characterized into categories, okay? When we read this, here's what you'll see. You'll see it describing what love is, okay? And actually the ones that we're looking at, long-suffering and kindness, those are what love is, okay? The second kind is what love is not. Third is how love does not act. And the fourth is how love does act. Now, all my life, I've thought of 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 7 in the way that the NIV Bible says it. And that is, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Okay, so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because there's not. I'm just pointing out that it lists them one by one. And yes, we're talking about love here and everything that we described is an all-encompassing 
description of what love is. You know, love is patient, love is kind, love is, you know, all those things. It's an all-encompassing description. But with me, this all really started when I read the New King James Version. And that's just the version I like to use. But instead of saying, you know, love is patient, love is kind, you know, that sort of thing where it lists them off one by one, again, nothing wrong with that. The New King James Version says, love suffers long and is kind. Okay, it doesn't separate the two. You know, I'm no English teacher, but the word and is a conjunction. It conjoins or combines the two thoughts. So instead of seeing the two as separate, you know, love is patient, love is kind, I feel God was showing me that these two specifically should really work together. So love suffers long and is kind. So let's take a look at what the word suffer means to kind of help us kind of get a grip on this. It means to undergo or feel pain or distress, to sustain injury, a disadvantage, that's one I really want to highlight there, a disadvantage or loss, to endure pain, disability, death, etc., patiently or willingly. So here's the question. Do we as examples of Christ suffer? Are we willing to be disadvantaged for others? Are we willing to be on the losing end? Are we willing to, quote-unquote, lose out on some of our aspirations or our goals or our dreams for someone else's sake? What about if it's for the cause of Christ? Are we willing to, quote-unquote, lose out? Are we suffering? Now, <laughs> I'm not saying we need to go around you know, looking for opportunities to suffer. I'm just saying that if and when a situation presents itself, where we have the opportunity to be Christ-like and suffer, making it all about Jesus instead of ourselves, are we even willing to do so? Are we open to the idea that there may come a time where I need to, quote-unquote, suffer? And if not, if we've never even thought of that, use this message to begin the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to prepare your heart so that you can grow to the point where you're willing to suffer for Jesus. Because here's the key. It's important we understand that love, love is willing to suffer. So what about those who are aware that suffering is a part of being a believer in Christ? You understand that there will be times where we're disadvantaged for the sake of someone else, you know, that we'll be on the losing end of things, that we don't always need to justify ourselves, even though there are times where it really feel good to do so. So you are willing to suffer, and that's awesome. So if that's the case, if you're willing to suffer for Christ, let me add on the next word to partner up with it. Are we not just willing to suffer, but willing to suffer long? That really adds a whole new dimension to it when we recognize that not only might we have to be disadvantaged, but there may be a time where we're disadvantaged or suffering for a long period of time. So let's take a look at some practical examples of what suffering long might look like. One that comes to mind would be in a romantic relationship, okay? In a dating relationship between a man and a woman, you know, when you first start out, you're always trying to put your best foot forward. And so in those situations, it's really easy to walk out suffering long then, you know? And, and you know, why is that? Well, because we don't want to be dumped. We don't want to be single. We, we like this person. We feel God is directing us to pursue a relationship with them. So we're willing to overlook some things. But what happens when we get married? You know, over time, those same, you know, quote unquote, quirky things 
our spouse does that when we were dating, you know, we, we overlooked, they didn't bother us. But now that we're married, <laughs> we consider them to be flaws. In this case, suffering long is no longer a priority. Here's something to think about. You know who we tend to give the hardest time to? <laughs> it's the ones that we're the most familiar with. You know, our spouse, our parents, our kids, our friends. We become used to them, okay? We become so familiar with them that we treat the ones we say we love the most with the most disdain. But what happens when a guest comes over? <laughs> you know, we're all smiles. We bring out our best plates and silverware. You know, we talk politely. We can even talk about a topic that we disagree on and disagree agreeably. <laughs> no, that's kind of a tongue twister, but we can, you know, we don't have to get in an argument. We can share both of our opinions and, and just express that we disagree on it. Again, I'm not fussing with anyone. I live in the same world you do, where my flesh wants to rise up from time to time. And I have to take captive every high thought that tries to exalt itself above the word of God, you know, just like you do. But just for this example, treating our loved ones in a non-loving way simply is not suffering long. Here's another one. What about when a child grows up and they're choosing to do things that are not Christ-like, that can lead to a destructive lifestyle? You know, we know it's not good for them. Are we willing to suffer long even then? Or do we try to fix them every time we see them? You know, do we lecture at them? Are we that prick poking at them, thinking that what we're doing is pushing them closer to Christ, when in reality, it's not with a spirit of gentleness, and it's pushing them further away. Another one is, what about in a situation where there's something that happens that's totally unexpected? You know, God forbid that there's a sudden physical limitation to a loved one or a parent who's gotten up there in age and is elderly and requires more of our attention. Are we willing to suffer long even then? What about in the circumstances where you know, we know that we're not in the wrong? It's very clear that another individual has said or done something and they're clearly in the wrong, but as a result, it makes us look bad. Now, I'm not saying there aren't situations where we can't attempt to straighten things out. That's not what, that's not what I'm getting at. But in a situation where you know we're pretty sure that it doesn't matter with all the logic and all the explaining and all the trying to show the other person that this isn't what happened. We're pretty sure that, you know, it's it's not going to matter. Do we still take the first opportunity that we can get to try and justify and defend ourselves? Even when we know that it will tear down that individual who was in the wrong in the first place. You know, are we that forceful with it? Are we more concerned with how others see us or how God sees us? is knowing that God the Father knows what the situation is. He knows that I didn't do anything wrong. Is that enough for me? <laughs> knowing that God knows what really happened? Are we willing to suffer long even then? Here's another example. What about in a situation where someone is openly critical towards us? Will we walk in love and suffer long even then? Now, if it's a stranger... I mean, they're a stranger, you know, so who really cares? <laughs> it's not like we'll ever see them again, right? But I want to point out, it doesn't say that we should only suffer long for the people we like. We may need to suffer long even in a situation that includes a stranger. But what about when it's a coworker, you know, a child, a spouse, 
someone like that who's openly critical towards us? Someone who means more to us than a stranger? Are we committed to suffering long even then? And I know some of these are pretty heavy, okay? There's some pretty big ones. But another example is, you know, what about the, the small little day-to-day tasks around the house? You know, the dishes, the underwear on the floor, the toothpaste squeezed from the wrong end. Are we willing to suffer long even then? Or, or do we have to rip into our spouse every chance we get because they're not doing things exactly the way we want them done? Now, let's go ahead and add to this a little bit. In a situation where we did walk this out, we did suffer long, we were Christ-like, here's the question. Were we also kind? Did we suffer long? And were we kind? It's back to that whole middle school conjunction thing, you know, the word and, and the two of them working together. Here's what suffering long and being kind doesn't look like. (laughs) It doesn't declare out loud, you know, when you're having a elevated discussion that tends to happen with, you know, a loved one. Suffering long and being kind doesn't proclaim out loud that that's what they're doing. You know, it's not like you disagree on a topic with your spouse and now you're saying, you know, right now I am choosing to suffer long and I am choosing to be kind towards you, but you're really making it challenging. (laughs) You know, no, it's just something that you do. When we bring attention to ourselves, that kind of defeats the purpose. That doesn't sound like love. Another example would be, you know, after we have one of those discussions where we disagree on a topic with someone we love, you know, do we just then give them the cold shoulder? We walk around the house ignoring them. We purposely stay on the opposite end of the house. (laughs) They call us and we don't answer their phone call. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't times where it's wise to not add to (laughs) a heated discussion to not start the crazy cycle. And so we get away for a little bit and let our emotions cool down. And then we come back together and talk it out. I'm not saying that those things don't happen, but I'm saying literally giving someone the cold shoulder. Does suffering long just mean we don't say anything? We grit our teeth. We have a stern face, but we just keep our mouth shut. I wonder if that's what being kind (laughs) looked like when Jesus suffered long. I don't really think it did. Because ultimately, God is love. Jesus is love. And that's what we're talking about here. Love is all a heart issue. Okay, You go back to those first three verses we looked at in 1 Corinthians 13 and how they showed us that just because someone appears on the surface to be operating in love, you know, or kindness, like we're talking about here, doesn't mean that that's truly what's going on in their heart. Because in their heart, or in their mind, someone could be on the verge of cussing someone out. But outwardly, it looks like they're suffering long and being kind. Okay, so it all comes back to a heart issue. But to add to all this, another way that we wouldn't be operating in that kindness aspect of this would be a situation where we just... Give someone the cold shoulder anytime a certain subject comes up. You know, we give them the silent treatment. So maybe we could get away with saying that, you know, we're suffering long for someone. But ignoring someone definitely isn't responding with kindness. 
basically what we're describing here is we're acting like an adult brat. We didn't like our way. The topic comes back up later on. And now because we don't like it, we just shut down. So again, the reason I'm describing all these examples is because we can really start to see why kindness is so important and why these two are paired together. So what's the root cause of an unwillingness to suffer long and be kind? It all boils down to self-centeredness. Now, again, don't allow the enemy to try and condemn you over this type of stuff, okay? All I'm trying to do is point out some of the things so that when we get in these situations where the opportunity is there to suffer long and be kind, you know, we're now aware of it. We're not blind to the enemy's schemes. We know that he wants to try and use some of the things that we've talked about to destroy relationships, to get us to not walk in this God type of unconditional love. But because we're aware of it, even though we may have messed up in the past and not done this right, including myself, we're better equipping ourselves to walk in love in the future. So if self-centeredness is something you recognize that you struggle with, let me let you in on a little secret. We all do. The only way to rid oneself of self-centeredness will be for someone to kill you. And that's not God's will, you know. He wants you down here on earth so you can advance the kingdom. We just need to allow the Holy Spirit to help us recognize when we're getting into self. And when we do, we just need to repent. And that just means to go the opposite direction. It's important we understand that God's grace and mercy far exceeds anything that you and I could ever do. But here's the thing. He sees us holy, righteous, and blameless right now, even when we get into that self-centeredness. So how do we suffer long and be kind? Well, first, we need to recognize it's a choice. You and I have to make the choice every time to operate in love. And just because we did it one time before doesn't mean that it automatically happens the next time. Okay, we have to make the choice. And suffering long and being kind, that doesn't mean that we're being fake. Okay, fake is one of those buzzwords over the last year, two years that has really come up. You're not being fake when you're suffering long and being kind. It just means that we're more concerned for others than we are ourselves. Galatians 5, 16-18 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under that law. So why is that important in relation to what we're talking about? Some people have this mentality that I just need to try harder. Okay, If I really focus and set my mind to it, you know, I'll change. That if I'm really determined, I can make this happen. But the truth is, that'll never work. It'll actually cause self-centeredness to rise up even more. I know we love our to-do lists, you know, step one, you know, through three. And if we follow these, we'll be able to suffer long and be kind, you know, but, but that's just not how it works. The best advice I can give you is to just run after Jesus, run towards him, make him the priority in your life. So here's some practical advice. First one is pay attention to what you're paying attention to. You and I are in a battle. And the battle is in our minds, okay? 
the enemy. He loves to put in thoughts, and that's how he tries to steer us in a certain directions. And what we watch or what we listen to will affect the way that we respond to situations that come up. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we put in a bunch of junk from TV or music or whatever the case may be, what comes into us will eventually comes out. But if we guard our hearts and we guard our ears, and I'm not saying we have to go live in a monastery, okay? We're to be in this world, but we're not to be of this world. It's okay to know what's going on out there in the world and and you know the different topics that there are out there to be familiar with it. But that doesn't mean that we need to make it our entire life, okay? For me personally, I don't want to spend more time watching the news than I do getting in the Word, okay? Because I just know that that stuff and that junk, even, even the viewpoints that you agree with politically or whatever the case may be, in order for most of those shows to make their point, they have to tear down someone else. And again, like we read earlier, we should hate evil. But I think it's important for us to understand that we fight a battle that's not against flesh and blood. (laughs) We're fighting against principalities and forces in the spirit realm. If someone is doing something evil in nature, it's important that we recognize that God loves them just as much as he loves you. Jesus died for him or her just like they died for you. And our hearts should hurt for that individual that, man, that's just not what God wants for them. He wants good for them. So again, we need to protect our minds and protect our ears. We need to choose to focus on the good and the true and the noble. It's our choice. Second one is is to stay eternally minded. When challenges come up in this world, it's important that we stay eternally minded when all the junk and all that crap comes our way because if we just focus on the trials and the tribulations that comes our way, Man, we can really become disheartened. But if we focus on heaven, (laughs) if we keep our our mind focused on spending eternity with Jesus, and I'm not saying that we adopt this idea of like we're just looking to check out, you know what I mean? No, we're here on this earth right now and God has a plan and a purpose for us right now. But if I focus on the fact that, man, all this stuff that's coming against me and, and all these troubles and hard stuff that's happening in the scope of eternity it's nothing it's the blink of an eye it's a breath when i'm in eternity for all of time all the things that seem to be such big deals now (laughs) i mean i don't know if biblically i mean i want to try and be accurate here i don't even know if if we'll even remember them you know i i I think we we could but i mean like it, it won't matter is all I'm trying to say. So if we can keep our focus eternally minded, that'll help us to suffer long and be kind while we're here on earth. Something else practical here, number three, is don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Another way of saying it is, don't turn minors into majors. Because at the end of the day, they're all minors. Okay? And again, I know some of us are in some really challenging times right now. I'm not trying to make light of that. Whether it's physical battles, you know, you're fighting cancer, the doctor told you you don't have much time to live, or, you know, a loved one has passed away, or the enemy is using other people 
influencing them and they're coming against you and you lost your job and you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. I am not trying to minimize those challenges, but it kind of goes back to this whole idea of being eternally minded. Even the things that right now seem major to us, at the end of the day, they're all minor. Okay, and why is that? Because we've got a dad, we've got a, a God that promises that he's going to provide every need, that promises that he never leaves us or forsakes us, that he always has a way of escape from every temptation that tries to come against us. I like the way my pastor says it. He says, big bubbles, no troubles. Our response and whether or not we choose to suffer long and be kind is up to you and I. And as we continue to run after Jesus, continue to be in relationship with him, you know, maybe we're not quite there yet. But we'll see down the road that as we continue to spend time with him and grow, we'll see a change in our lives. Whether it's big or small, we'll see that we didn't respond quite the way that we would have. And why is that? Because God is transforming us. And he's the one that's given us the grace to walk in love. Thanks for listening and join us again next time on the Abundance Podcast.